title of today's message is Servants or Sergeants. And the reason I did sergeants is because it rhymed. Did you guys catch that? But you can also do other things like surgeons or SARS. You guys know what a SAR is? Or surgeons or Caesars. The emphasis is, is somebody who serves versus somebody who has authority and commands. You've all heard of those bosses who either want to come alongside and help you with what your job is or those who just tell you what to do and expect you to get it done. No understanding. This is the quota. This is what needs to get. I don't care how you do it. If it has to be unethical, don't talk to me about it. Just get it done. Servants or sergeants, what's the difference? One serves and the other orders. For us to be sergeants or commanders of God's word has never really been his intention. In fact, the example that we get from God is an example of service, is it not? Throughout the entire Bible, you never see God just coming down as a drill sergeant screaming in people's face. He's a servant. He serves. He loves. He's consistent. And it's what he does throughout all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament, and even instructs the churches in the end of the New Testament in Revelation that that's what they should be doing as well. That's what God's heart is. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Man, if I was Jesus, if I was Jesus, I would be like taking advantage of a little opportunity I had while I was down on earth, you know? Like, I wouldn't be washing nobody's feet. You know that, you know. You guys wash my feet. Did I say the King of Kings? Did I say the King of Kings or what? I don't know if that's how I would really be, but that's how we're kind of wired, though, isn't it? We're kind of wired to be in control, in command. And even when we look at the nation of Israel and Micah, and, and the way that Micah is addressing with God's word his people and the nation, his intention never was for the leaders of the nation to rule over the people. What kind of uh, 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 governmental system was the nation of Israel supposed to have? You can yell it out. I don't care. Yell it out. What was it? Servant-minded. Is there a term that comes to mind? Think of the nation of Israel. What was their governmental system supposed to be? Theocracy. Do you know what a theocracy is? It's God's in charge. He's the king. We are the people that are underneath him. But what was happening was, and we've talked about before with Micah, was these people have elevated themselves above, and they were the ones that were manipulating and cheating and robbing the people. They were the ones that were taking advantage of the people instead of allowing God to be their ruler. And as we saw through, through uh, Micah chapter 1 and chapter 2, God's intention for the people uh, was to address the, the, the social problems that were happening, to address the issues that the people were taking into their, their own hands, to address the neglect, the widows being mistreated, the orphans being mistreated. This is what God's heart was. 
And now in chapter 3, he talks to the nation in 1 and 2. He talks to the nation of Israel generally in those two chapters. And then in chapter 3, he nails the leaders. Because this is what my dad taught me ever since I can remember. And don't get offended because it's not a bad word, okay? I'm just going to say, give you a little warning. This is what my dad used to always say to me from a little kid. He was in construction. He did underground. He did a lot of plumbing. He said, don't forget this, Tim. Crap flows downhill. Whatever's at the top is going to have to go down to the bottom. And if you happen to be at the bottom, whatever's coming from the top is what you're going to get down there. Whatever's happening at the top of our nation, whatever's happening at the top of the nation of Israel, it's flowing down through the people, and the ones that need to be addressed are the leadership. And this is what uh, God says through Micah to the leadership in Micah chapter 3. And I said, hear now, O heads of Jacob and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil. This is so reminiscent of Jesus in the New Testament yelling at the Sadducees and Pharisees, calling them a brood of vipers. You guys are in it for the profit. You're hirelings. You're not shepherds. You're paid, and you take advantage of people. And God says, listen, you heads of Jacob, listen, you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? It's not any coincidence, church, that on Wednesday nights, right now, we're going through the book of Exodus. And we just finished up the divine law that God gave his people. Remember the moral law, the Ten Commandments, the civil law. Then we got into the Levitical law a little bit, talked about it. And the intention of of giving the law was so that there could be, if you could pick one word out of that verse we read in Micah, what would it be? Justice. That the people would relate and have the right relationship with God. They would have a just relationship. And the people would be able to relate and care and love for each other. And it would be injustice. It would be just relationship between a man and his cow that falls into the ditch and taking advantage of each other. Justice. Is it not for you to know justice? God is saying, didn't I give you the law so that you could be different from everybody else? But what you're slowly doing is you're neglecting my law. You're neglecting what would make you different from everybody else. And now you look like all the rest of the nations of the earth. And for us as a church, this is what our prayer is and should be on a daily basis. We don't want to look like the rest of the U.S. We don't want to look like the rest of other churches. We don't want to look like evangelical Christianity. We don't want to look like Calvary Chapel. We don't want to look like a non-denominational church. We want to look like Jesus Christ because he is different. Now, I'm not saying that those things aren't like Jesus, but if that's what our focus is, then it's easier to get off track and to not be a right representative of Jesus. Does that make sense to everybody? Our focus is Jesus, and God's intention was never for the rulers of Israel to allow injustice to come in 
to be the cornerstone of their authority in Israel. And the ultimate, the ultimate penalty was that they ended up hating what was good and loving what was evil. It also it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Focusing on those things that are evil and saying, you know what, maybe that's not so bad. I had a problem recently. I'm sorry, I, I, I overanalyze things. But I had a problem recently, a couple years ago. I even brought it up to a, a pastor's meeting I was at. And, and I said, you know what, I'm, I, I like movies. And, and my kids watch cartoons and stuff. But you know what I noticed a lot lately, more and more, is that all the bad guys are now good guys. And it's like, you know, we're not like uh, good versus evil anymore. We don't talk about what's good and what's bad. We talk about this guy who's bad. This is what he is. He's a bad guy. He's a serial murderer. He's a, he, all these things. But you know what? It, just talk to him. He's kind of nice. You, don't you want to go hang out with vampires now? I don't. But that's the kind of thing that, like, culturally is, is becoming a norm. And listen, I know it's a light thing. I'm not, I'm not beating any war drums or anything. We have a petition in the back you can sign, though. <laughs> it's not about that, okay? It's just that the, just recognize what's happening. Good, uh, evil is being called good, and good is being called evil. And when that was happening in the nation of Israel, somebody was going to be held accountable, and that accountability went, by the grace of God, straight to the top. So just like we talked about last week, you guys, we have to pray for our, our leaders of our country. We have to pray for them. We have to ask God for them. We have to ask God to send people to them. Because they don't know. They don't get it. And our country needs Jesus now more than ever before. So we, we saw, uh, I mentioned in the, in the Bible how, how we see that God didn't want um, rulers or ruling over people early in the Old Testament. We see uh, around this time of Micah, whose contemporaries were Isaiah and Hosea, that God didn't want people ruling over the people in this way and allowing injustice to come in. And then let's fast forward. You know, there's Jesus who is uh, addressing and correcting the religious elite who are ruling over the people. And then fast forward even more to Revelation chapter 2, and we can turn there. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. Last book of the Bible, I believe that Jesus brings it up to two of the seven churches and talks about this very issue, not for the nation of Israel, not in general for this world, but for his holy church in the last days. Listen to what he says in chapter 2, verse 6. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So this is the first reference to the Nicolaitans that we have in Ephesus. And there's a couple people or a couple few different opinions about this. But I would say that the, the greatest opinion about who the Nicolaitans were, were Nicolaos, those who rule over. And Jesus is saying to the Ephesian church, this is what you guys are doing good. This is what you guys are doing bad. By the way, you hate the deeds of those in the church who rule over others, and that's right. How many times have you heard Jesus say that he hates something? 
It's not every chapter. Sorry for yelling at you. It's not every book. But this is something that, that really, really upsets the heart of God. And when, when we in the church have people who elevate themselves, who become commanders instead of servants or sergeants or whatever you want to say, when we have people in the church that do that, what ends up ultimately happening, we can see throughout history, is they place themselves in between man and God. Just like the Catholic Church. I was raised in the Catholic Church. I understand. You don't go to God. You go to the priest. There's somebody in between. There's a hierarchy that you have to answer to. And anybody in the Catholic Church who knows what dogmatic Catholicism says will tell you that Jesus Christ does not forgive your sins. He has given that authority to the church. And the church is who forgives your sins. Does that sound right? That's why you need absolution. That's why you need the church to say, I absolve you of your sin. Because it's not something that happens from the throne of God. It's something that happens in an institution. And that's the natural progression that you get when you have people creep in to God's holy church that start to elevate themselves and put themselves in a position where they're ruling over the people. There's no priesthood in Calvary Chapel, uh, in Calvary Chapels or Paradise Calvary Chapel for a reason. Why? I'd make a lousy priest. I think I would. I like my haircut. I don't think you can cut your hair like this as a priest, first of all. Second of all, there's no way that I want to prohibit or take away somebody's free access personally to God when that's what God's passion. Listen, that's not emphasized. That was God's passion and his desire for sending his son to the cross was so that you and I and everyone in here and everybody we talk to could have direct access to him. And then somebody comes in and says, you know what, you need to go through me. I'm holy, I don't get married, I cut a little bald spot on the top of my head, I wear robes, I do this, I do that. We had a Jehovah's Witness come to our door a, f a few days ago, and I was so ready. I was excited when I saw him walking down the street. I was on my way out the door to a meeting, and I said, I'm going to be late, bro. I'm sorry. I'm on my way. And, and, and by the grace of God, I didn't just get to talk to anybody. I got to talk to one of the big dogs, and he had this little girl. She must have been eight that she was training. And at first, you know, I just like, I just kind of went into him a little bit, you know. And I was like, chill out, dude, chill out, you know. So we started talking back and forth, and, and, and I asked him after a while, I said, listen, what made you want to become a Jehovah's Witness? He said, well, I was born into it. I was like, do you think that there's any possible way that you could be wrong? He said, absolutely not. I said, I have some literature for you here. Read this, would you? Just read it for me. What's it about? Well, it's just about, you know, what, what I believe and what the, the Watchtower Society teaches and the difference. No, I won't take it. Why? He said, I've done my research. Well, do a little bit more. You were born into it? 
And you're willing to submit yourself. This is the point, everybody, okay? You're willing to submit yourself to uh, a hierarchical society that rules over you, and you can't do stuff unless some prophet in New York tells you, and that prophet's been wrong in 1914, 1942, 1967, 1984. Like, I've got, it's in the paper if you want to read it. You're willing to submit yourself to that? When you can have direct access right to God, your religion is based on a religion of works. God wants to give you free access by his grace, through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. Isn't that appealing to you? And I didn't want to be a jerk. And really, I, I don't think I came across the wrong way. But one of the last things I said, I turned to that little girl and I said, listen, sweetie, just read the Bible, okay? And ask questions. Because if this guy's willing to take these little kids door to door from birth and do this kind of thing, I hope that along the way there's some kind of hiccup that puts a little check in her little heart and she starts to ask questions and pray and seek God so he can reveal himself to her. This man hasn't known anything his whole life, and he's willing to subject himself to an institution that rules over him and tells him that he cannot have that same access to God that those who are higher up can have. And as much as I have come to understand that through my relationship with the Lord, which is so sweet, I love being able to know who God is and being able to pray and be confident that, that I can hear from him. And, it, and because I've understood that and because I believe that God's given me his heart in that, that it, it makes me mad. It makes me mad when I talk to these people. And the main thing, that, and he wanted to talk theology. We could talk theology all day long. You know, you change the scriptures. Let's turn to John chapter 1. Okay, fine, let's turn there. Uh, and and uh, he shall be a God. No, the word of God is not a God. The word of God is God. You guys change that. That's not translational. You guys are manipulating the text to be over people, and it's not right. And so many other things. Look, at, look around at the different religions or the, the different so-called religions or religious institutions around the world. There's always an elitist heart hierarchy. And we in our church, if there's ever a, a group of people or anybody who thinks that they're in leadership, that will elevate themselves above people and become sergeants and not servants, something is wrong. And by the grace of God, I hope that it's addressed. Also in Revelation, if you're still there, chapter 2, verse 15. Jesus talking to the church in Pergamos writes, Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. I hate it. I had to die on the cross and bleed for you guys so that you could have access, and then somebody's coming in saying that it's better to go through them. It's not, ever. It's not. Flip back to Micah. Here's a little description. You know, the Lord, 
Our God likes to illustrate things for us. I like that. You guys like that? I like how he illustrates things for us. Even in scriptures, he illustrates, you guys are bad leaders. You call what's good evil and what's evil good. And then he goes on to illustrate this in, in verses, uh, the second part of verse 2. You who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, Flay their skin from them, break their bones and chop them into pieces like meat from the, for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. Oh God, it's a little heavy. I don't, think, I don't think things are that bad. They are that bad. That's why I'm saying it. That's why the Assyrians are coming. That's why you're going into captivity because it is that bad. It's not a light thing. It's not a light matter. This needs to be addressed. You strip the skin from my people. You know what this is speaking of? It's speaking of the leaders treating the regular people like animals. Like they're on a hunt for their benefit. And when we catch them, we, we strip them naked and we, we take the meat and we, we divide it and we devour it. And then we, we don't let anything go to waste. We even chop up the bones for soup later. We don't just take advantage of them a little bit. We take advantage of them thoroughly. And this is what you guys have to hold, be held accountable for. You show no mercy. You're completely thorough. You're even preparing for your next meal. Verse 4, then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at this time because they have been evil in their deeds. You know, listen, this is, this is so hard to try to communicate to you guys. Do you know what the absolute worst punishment of all eternity is? Absolutely worse than anything else. Not having a car in 120 degree heat, and it is kind of like hell here a little bit lately. But there's so many bad things that can happen. What's the absolute worst? I'll tell you, and please write it down, to have your relationship with God, the Father who created you, jeopardized. You may be living your life the way that you want to now and not including him in the decisions that you're making or the way that you're living your life, and you know what? It's the worst possible thing you can do because that's the one thing, again, that he intended for us through the law and by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. It's the one thing. Can't you imagine like God saying, I'm so upset with you guys. You're treating my people this bad. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to withdraw myself from you. Oh, that, that's heavy. Sometimes I make a couple mistakes consecutively. I'm just having a bad day, and I do something wrong, and I, and I repent. God, I shouldn't have did that, you know? Somebody's listening to K-Wave, and I hear some, you know, preacher make a mistake. What's wrong with you? Why are you even on the radio? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. It's my heart. Whatever the case may be, right? Lord, forgive me. And then it's just that, that bad attitude is permeated into the day. And then next thing you know, like a few things happen. And I wonder like, God, the only thing, like I know I'm being a dork today, but the only thing is please don't withdraw your presence from me. <laughs> I need you. I need you so bad. And it's the one promise that makes so much, that means so much to me. When Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Oh, thank you, God. David crying out. 
restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Give me the right relationship with you that I had before that's been severed because of my sin. It's the worst thing. In fact, it is the definition of what hell is. Hell is separation from God. You want to know what hell is? It's going to be the worst place that you've ever even been able to conceive because the presence of God will not be there. And he's telling them, listen, guys, you're going to cry to me, I'm not going to answer you. You're going to ask for help, and I'm not going to respond. Your most valuable national treasure is your relationship with me, and because you're acting this way, you're in time out. And I'm not going to allow you to partake in the most blessed part of being called my nation. Thus says the Lord, verse 5, concerning the prophets who make me my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Not just the, the, the political leaders and the rulers and the princes of the nation, but even the prophets who should have been leading the people spiritually, that they are inflicting pain and causing war. If we're consuming, you know, I love that picture too, like eating something. If we're consuming, everything's good. You know, intake. Ooh, yummy. I feel good. I just had, you know, actually I don't feel good because I just ate a pizza, but it feel better than I did before or whatever the case may be. Consuming. Oh, but when they're hungry and somebody's not willing to put something in their mouth, oh, they start de- devising, figuring out how they're going to come against that person to take advantage, to cause war. Therefore, you shall, no, you shall have night without vision. You shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips. There is no answer from God. There's going to be a deafening silence even from those whose job it is to hear from the Lord. That's how bad this is. And that's how bad this consequence is. Again, this is a very serious consequence. But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. This is Micah saying there's going to be a blackout spiritually. Nobody's going to be able to hear from God. None of the prophets, but just in case you are wondering, yes, I am a true prophet and this is God's word. This is what God really has to say to you. He's not shutting me up. He's giving you one outlet to speak against all the false prophets And I am inspired by the Spirit of God to inform you of these things. Now hear this, verse 9. You heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity, her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come us, come upon us. 
Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. God did speak to the nation collectively. God did speak to everybody in the nation. And his promises are consistently, if you turn from your wicked ways and you repent and you seek my face, I'll restore you. That's what God's promise always is. And you notice like that it hasn't happened yet and he's still sending people because he loves them. He doesn't want destruction to come but it's going to because of their actions and because they're not changing. Abhor justice and pervert all equity. Do you know, just on a side note, and again, like I don't really want to get too much into it, but you know that that used to be what America was all about? Justice? Justice and liberty for all? And, and, and it seems like the, the longer that time goes by, it seems like the justice part is the thing that's, that's waning faster and faster. Things are not just. A couple, a couple decades ago, somebody gets caught in office doing something that they're not supposed to do. They get impeached. There's righteous men and women who stand up and say, this is not right. It's not going to happen. Now there's so much involvement and the money is spread around. It's like people that, that are in the upper tiers of politics can almost do whatever they want. There's no accountability. So one of the things that we can pray, if we believe God for specific prayers, one of the things that we can ask for him specifically is to bring justice back to our land. Give us judges who judge righteously. Hold people accountable at the upper tiers of our government because God can bring that which is in the darkness to the light. And sometimes I find myself not knowing what to pray for our leaders and just praying like, Lord, just save them and Lord, send people to give them discernment and send people to share the gospel with them. But, you know, sometimes it's good to pray for people too. Lord, let them be accountable for their actions. Not in a mean heart. Not mean-spirited to see people pay and chuckle and laugh at their demise. But in love and compassion, God, we want our country to continue forward and to know who you are. Hold our leaders accountable. Bring in righteous leaders who are willing to be held accountable. Not people who say they want transparency, but then when they're in office, there is no transparency who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity, the, the building up concept is the construction. We want to develop, we want to grow as a nation, the nation of Israel, but instead of doing things the way they should have been doing them, they're allowing their, their country to be built up, their capital city to grow by bloodshed. By killing people who aren't in the right position or, or placing people in the right position that shouldn't be there and then killing the contenders. Bloodshed and iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe. Those who are up at the top, a judgment needs to be passed. And when the judgment is about to be passed, a third party comes and says, if you allow your judgment to go in this direction, I'll help you out with this much compensation. And they say, okay, that sounds pretty good. I was kind of 
I was kind of looking forward to having a uh, vacation house down by Galilee, you know. And the relationships with each other. Before the judgment, hey, here's a bride. Okay, I'll, I'll judge in your favor. Her priests teach for pay. <laughs> you know, when I was Catholic, I'm just saying, okay. When I was Catholic, we had to pay for everything. Like if the, if the, the priest, which would, I would like to say that me and my priest, we were homeboys. I was an altar boy. We were cool. I would hang out with him. We would talk. We would chill. But if he came over to the house, we'd have to give him some money. If he blessed us, we'd have to give him some money. If we wanted him to come uh, uh, pray over a situation or hold a service in honor of somebody, you gotta, you know, you got to pay. And a lot of times, maybe it wasn't necessarily to him. Many times it was. But it would just go back into the church. And there's other instances also as well. Um, I'm just more familiar with that one because that's the way that I was raised. In fact, when we moved to Croatia with a 98% population statistically of Roman Catholics, I would do home visits and go meet with these elderly ladies or go talk to people that, that had some kind of connection. People would, would email us from the state and say, hey, my grandma lives a half an hour from you. I'm a believer. I go to this church. Would you go share the gospel with her? I'd say, absolutely. I'd go talk to her. Walking out the door, she's trying to shove a hundred kuna in my pocket. I'm like, I don't want it. She's like, I have to. She feels like if she doesn't give me the money, then she's not going to receive the blessing that I came to give her. So I took it. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. <laughs> this is just a hundred? I mean, that was a pretty good blessing I gave you, wasn't it? So come on, Grandma, I know you're holding out. <laughs> they teach for money. Teach for money. Do you know that, that in Jeremiah chapter 31, when the new covenant is going to be instituted, it says that no man is going to say to his neighbor or brother, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. They will teach each other. Not for payment. For passion. For love. I absolutely love the privilege that God has given me to teach his word. I love it. I get the goose pimples still sometimes. That's what they call them in Europe. I thought I'd shock you guys. I get goosebumps still sometimes, thinking like, God, it's so good to be with your people and to teach your word. And sometimes things get a little tight, and we're just going to take a special offering today. If you were blessed today by the Bible teaching, you just give to the offering, and it's going to go to me, Okay? No, that's not how it should be. That's not the way that God intended it to be. But that's what they were doing. Her priests teach for pay and her prophets divine for money. If you want to hear from the Lord, give me 20 bucks and I'll go see what he has to say. Do you think that there's a dependency upon God himself when that happens? No, there's not. And her prophets divine for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? 
no harm could come upon us. This is so tragic because I love the first two, three chapters of the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament. The Gospels are just getting over. You're getting into the Acts. And the first things that start to happen is Jesus reiterating that I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit and you're going to be witnesses uh, for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm sending you out. No longer is everybody going to come to Jerusalem for the feasts and be able to be in my presence in the temple because you guys are little temples and I'm sending you out into the whole world and you're going to be my witnesses. And then when they see your life and they see that the love that you have for one another, they're going to know that you're from me. And it was exciting. He says, you guys aren't being good witnesses. You're saying that you're with me to the nation of Israel. You guys are saying, oh, look, isn't God among us? That'll be $20 for that prophecy I gave you earlier. No. Sadly, as we look at the nation of Israel, too, in this, in this way, uh, sadly, I have to say that the same thing is, is happening today. In the evangelical, born-again Christian church, here and not just here, around the world, the motivation is money and numbers and performance. And may, by the grace of God, may it not be is not the Lord among us? Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins and the mountains of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. There were two things that the people of Israel uh, were unequivocally blessed with that was better than anything else in the whole world. What were those two things? The relationship with God the Father and the inheritance of the land. And what he says in this chapter is this is what you guys have done. This is the level of depravity you've gone through. I'm taking away my presence and I'm taking away from you the land. I'm taking away your inheritance. Now, it is good that we're ending on such a strong note today because I want to tell you, you have to come to church next week. I'm not kidding. Because sometimes we have the tendency to see things through the eyes of God because of what we see in his scripture. And we can see almost that that was just for him to pronounce judgment on the nation of Israel. But that's not all he wanted to do. He wanted them to be accountable. And the next chapter is all that he had in store for their restoration. And it's so beautiful. It's so sweet. You can't end on a note like this without looking at the next chapter and realizing that God isn't just a commander that is whipping these guys into shape. He's a God of compassion whose desire is to restore them and to give them an inheritance, not that's even temporary, but it's going to last for all eternity that we get to partake of with the nation of Israel. So what's the takeaway today? I hope that you wrote down some things in your notes. But one thing we can end on is that we are all leaders in some way. You and I, we lead people, whether we like it or not. And sometimes I don't want to be a leader. I just want to go in my room and lay on my bed and zone everybody out. I probably do it more than I should. I've got six little people, five little people and a medium-sized person in the other room. Medium, right? It's not big. <laughs> that I'm leading. That I'm leading. That they're seeing. 
And Grace has five little people, and she leads me sometimes. We have, we have those around us who are, who are uh, not as uh, old in the faith that we can be leading, that we can be loving, that we can be takeaway serving, not commanding, not ruling over but allowing the Spirit of God to work through and flow through our lives so that the heart of God could be properly demonstrated in a difficult day and age. Amen? Let's pray. God, we pray today on Sunday, your day, we call it, the Lord's Day. We pray that you would fill us with your Spirit, Lord. We pray that you would allow us to remember the words that you spoke to us today. We pray, Lord, that throughout the week that you bring these things to remembrance so that we can be like you, so that we can serve like you, so we can love like you, so that we can address issues around us like you addressed in saying or addressing the people that were doing it wrongly. We need you, God. Demonstrate to us again afresh anew what it means to serve you. Not that that would be our primary motivation as Christians, because our primary motivation is to be engaged to the branch, engaged with you. But through that, the fruits of the Spirit would manifest walking in the good works that you've destined for us since the foundations of the earth were laid. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.